0: Hi, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. So happy you're joining us today. Welcome to a turn of events where we help you put a positive spin on the future of your business. I'm Annette Nave, Nave Productions. We are a strategic event planning, design, and production company based in New York City. We specialize in corporate, social, nonprofit, and weddings. And right now we're doing a lot of virtual. So if you're looking to move your live event to a virtual or you wanna talk about virtual events, well, I'm happy to have that conversation. There's a lot of questions, everybody's concerned and doesn't know, they don't really know where to start, but I'm happy to have a conversation, no obligations. We just wanna help and get you on the right track. So today we are going to talk about phase four in New York City for live events. This is super crazy what's going on and obviously our event industry is hurting right now. And so Tiffany Donaldson, who is the founding attorney for Donaldson Legal Counseling, is fantastic. She's going to give us some great tips. Let's welcome Tiffany. How are you?
1: Hi, thank you very much for having me. I'm doing good.
0: Awesome, awesome. I'm happy that you're here because there are a lot of legal questions on what's going on with the industry and, you know, how to proceed. So why don't you, before we get started, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you, your background, where you're at, all that good stuff.
1: Okay, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. My name is Tiffany Donaldson. I'm a business attorney In New York I'm currently located in the Rockefeller Center building recently moved there from Brooklyn but we service mostly all of New York City we can also service people in the state itself but because we're in the city we get more clients from the city and we focus on employment contract law, and trademarks. So we have a really close relationship with the entertainment industry, with the events industry, and any, anybody that's really looking to reopen successfully in New York because of there's a lot more legal requirements around it than I think anybody actually realizes. Yeah. And so I'm really just trying to spread the word about it because it's shocking how many people don't know anything about the legal requirements of reopening.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's why we have you because it's super important to, to figure out what's going on. So what is the status of indoor events in New York City?
1: So far, indoor is still not an option for the city, but indoor is available if you're outside the city, outside the realms of the five boroughs. And so you'll see that's where people are going to plan their live events until indoor reopens in the city. So, if you can get outside of the city, you can have a version of an indoor event. Right. And if you're inside the city, you can have an outside event. So, those are, that's where we're at right now. We're really hoping that it will change really soon. The part of the reason I believe indoor is still closed is because they're also not allowing indoor dining. And right. it would be really unfair in the city to have indoor events and still no indoor dining. So they're very deeply tied. That's why I think they're keeping those closed, but there is an eye toward reopening. Everyone's hoping they'll get some version within the next few weeks. There's a lot of pressure building. And
0: so just for the people who are outside of New York, what are the five boroughs?
1: Okay. So we got (laughs) Queens, Brooklyn, Staten Island, the Bronx and the city. Okay. Okay. If you're on Long Island, you can have an indoor event. So, oh, you are. Yeah, Long Island is outside of the five boroughs. People don't have to go that far to find a, a place where you can hold, but I say a version of a live event because it's still not 100% capacity out there either. Right.
0: And so what about upstate New York? Is that, can you go inside there?
1: Yeah, so let's talk about what you can do outside of the city. So for outside of the city... An indoor event is currently limited to 25% capacity. Okay. That includes staff, and I think that's one of the most important things because what I hate about our our, our environment right now is people pick everything up off the news, but okay. the news is sound bites, and yeah. so they'll be like, "Oh, it's 25% capacity. I'm going to cut my list by 25%." Yeah. But people forget that they need to include their staff and you're not going to be able to run the event without your staff. So 20 in a way, you might want to think about it as 20 percent leaving 5 percent for staff. But right. also you're going to have to check with the location of what their occupancy permit says, because it's not really a quarter of the people you were going to invite. It's a quarter of who can legally be in the building. And that might be a lot more than you're thinking. You, you really would not know unless you consult them.
0: Okay, so it has to do with the capacity of the
1: building. building. Okay. So that could be really exciting for somebody because if you check with a larger building and they have a very large capacity, 25% might be close to what you wanted anyway. So there's a lot of opportunity. I think everyone's very excited about the reopening of events outside the city, but the capacity being the number one beginning point of where you have to start with planning such an event and I can tell you want me to talk some more about the major restrictions that sure. are in place okay so the next major restriction which we're all used to now is the face coverings just like employment which I'm happy to talk about another time and just anywhere else that that you see the masks unless you're more than six feet apart rule is applicable to these indoor events and so If you thought you were just going to have a very normal indoor event, that is not true. You still have your masks on. And so what do you want to do? You want to create an expectation with your guests about how it's going to be. And it's not your fault. And they know that. But they don't know the rules. They're looking to you for the rules. So you're going to have to tell them the rules. And then you're going to have to implement the rules, which is likely the hardest part of your job.
0: So we... Even outside of the city right now, I'm booking some things for next year and we are booking space that is big enough to hold so we can social distance. So if we have 100 people and what we would put in a space that wasn't social distancing for 100 people, we are getting a space that's large enough that will fit. A hundred people social distancing, which is six feet apart, which is sick. so. It's not just here, but it is also in other states, and we are doing this into next year because we don't know how long this is going to last. Yet
1: yeah, I would say when it comes to projecting the future, to be conservative, yeah. um, I think it's if the numbers have a downward trend for a while, even if there's no vaccine if the numbers are going down, I think at least for New York state that they'll up the capacity for these events. They may do it in the next few months anyway, as long as there's a downward trend. If that trend is not going down and it just starts going back up because of reopening, they're right. not gonna touch it because their number one obligation is not business. Their number one obligation is health. Yeah. And, and you can see it through their policies. They're very pro-health policies which is great and they have a negative effect on business, but it's not the administration's priority to worry about that. So I would be very conservative, even if there's a vaccine out until it goes well, it's not really about that, it's just about those trends. And once the state makes a legal change to just keep up on the legal changes. Annette mentioned that if you're outside New York state, what do you do? So what you need to do, honestly, is check your, your governor's website. Try to see if you can figure out, because a lot of them are trying to make it very easy for what the rules are in your state about occupancy. Occupancy is the number one place to start. Mm-hmm. Masks rules go by state as well. So if there's no mask rule in your state, it's highly unlikely you'll need to wear them at your event because you're just following the general laws. But if you want more information than that on your specific state, then I would encourage you to reach out to your local business attorney in your county because they should be all over the rules as they're changing daily in your county. And they'll be really helpful to you because you don't want to make an assumption that you can't have 100% capacity and maybe in your state you can. So I want to be real careful to let people know that I practice in New York and these are the New York rules as they're current as of the date of, of yeah, this recording. Here,
0: yeah. And it, it,
1: this could be totally wrong advice tomorrow. So yeah. you have to make sure that you're following up on, on these right. things. Yeah. So what about food offered indoors? So when it comes to food, first of all, in the city, obviously you're not having the event indoors. So we don't, there's no food indoors either, but outside the city, right the establishments can serve food, but they need to follow the same rules as the other open uh, food providers. So when when it comes to serving food, the establishment that's serving it is going to be looked at as a food establishment. So they're going to have to be following the same food establishment rules. They haven't really made an extra carve out for the industry but you need to follow the food service rules for your county and your state and so in in new york right now it's a 50 percent maximum indoor capacity for food when it comes to the food service very interesting rules are you need to space the tables six feet apart but if you can't which is more than likely the truth then you need to have separated dividers. And so that is really, the idea of having dividers is like a relief because the other option is then you can't do it, which means restaurants can only fill up to a sixth of their capacity, which isn't profitable. And so I think it's very lucky that they put the or have a plastic divider rule in there because that's saving people millions of dollars.
0: Right, Uh, right. Uh, buffet versus plated and things like that. So what's, is there a rule
1: on that? That's a really good question. I'm actually not a hundred percent sure about the buffet, but when it I'm talking more about the seating, when it comes to, when it comes to the food service, I, I don't know, I don't have it right in front of me, but I do not think a buffet would be encouraged because the problem yeah. is you have people touching the same thing. Correct. So well, I would say stay away from that. I'd, I have a feeling that there's a rule, that, but I have to check it. But yeah, when it comes to the food service, the servers need to be wearing their masks, mm-hmm. and and they should be wearing gloves. And then they also they when they serve the food, they need to try to actually stay as far away from the people as possible. Right. Um, yeah. So when it comes to an event and the food, it's going to be similar. So you want to have service. I don't don't do a buffet. There's no way that could be on there. But it's not forbidden. And it's allowed and it's under the food service rules for that county. And so you're like, I know the food service rules for my state, but my event's in another county. You got to go check that county because you're going to be, it's wherever your business, the business you are at is located is going to apply to you.
0: Okay. And so obviously social distancing is required. That's, that's across the whole state. Is that correct? Regardless of wherever you are?
1: Yeah, so I'll mention one other thing uh, that we didn't touch on yet and that's outdoor events. And so New York State, New York City and New York State are at the same place for outdoor events, which is 33 maximum capacity. So that's really encouraging to know that if you're in the city, you can have an outdoor event and other than watching the capacity of the area, which means it's it, it, okay, there's no certificate of occupancy for The yard or something but when you're out in a yard you want to generally have 33 percent of the people that would normally fit there to allow for the social distancing but as people intermingle if they're getting closer than six feet they need to have a mask and so it's the same as you see the same themes which is because they can apply rules differently so you see the same and if you're in a different state and you don't know the rules you generally want to apply the most stringent rules you've heard for your state. And that's probably the best you can do if you can't figure it out otherwise. But yeah, so outdoor, the the other thing they say is that if people who come in groups together, can, they can intermingle closer. Right. Because the the idea being they're intermingling anyway, but they want you to keep groups like think for instance, like a tour, you're taking a winery tour or something like that. They want you to keep groups that aren't together together. Separate it if you can. If, and then otherwise, if you can't, they're required to wear their mask in the state of New York. And then, right.
0: and again, yeah. that includes the staff. So you'll always have to look yes. for
1: the staff. That's a really good point. So when you think of outdoor events, we have a very large outdoor event. You, you may have a lot of staff, so you want to account for that. I think it's it's a bit hard to determine what is 33% when you're talking about outside.
0: Yeah,
1: but you want to be cognizant of that general idea of not don't pack it, don't pack it. You you can get in trouble for that. That's and and not only that, it, it really is a health risk. I think that we've all seen that Right. when we see these reports on TV, they have one party and like three people get it. It's just so highly contagious. This is the industry that's on the front lines of protecting people almost from themselves. Yeah, so it's very important. But we're so.
0: We we want human contact, so it's just really difficult. I see people posting without masks on, with all their friends, and having a little dinner, and it makes me nervous because I'm a New Yorker, and I'm, we, we it's so strict here. But mm-hmm. other states who are not, they're not wearing masks,
1: and their numbers are going up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's hard, you know, it's really hard. So Jacqueline, my dear friend Jacqueline Vasquez, she's asking, but no dancing is allowed at the moment, correct? So what do you know about that?
1: As as far as I know, there's no specific ban on dancing indoors. If you're dancing, you're going to have to wear your masks. So the only rules that I've seen pertain to distance, and they they don't go to the actual thing that you're doing. Because what's the difference between dancing and sitting very close to each other for coronavirus purposes? It's, it's not any different. It's the idea of wearing the mask. Now, generally, having dancing encourages closeness. (laughs) So from a kind of like maybe moral standpoint, you may want to have encouraged everyone dancing alone or something. But no, there is no specific rule against dancing because dancing, you can dance in place. You can dance far away from each other. So you can dance. It's just the mask rules is is all that's in place. Yeah.
0: I think they're concerned about the heavy breathing or, I don't know, people get excited you know, with dancing.
1: And then if there's alcohol involved, this is the number one where the coronavirus is spreading is people lower their inhibitions. And then they're dancing without their mask. And that's where you have the problem. Yeah. So from a perspective, like we're talking legally about responsibility, we could talk a little bit about the responsibility of of the event planner versus the event location.
0: Yeah, well, let's just let's stay here for one second. With that said, other than the governor's executive order, do the SLA guidelines apply?
1: So the guidelines are going to apply and the guidelines go by your down to your county. So you're going to have to check in on the guidelines that affect your area so it's a really broad question, but yeah, you're gonna have to follow them. Yeah.
0: Okay, and yeah, Kathy says line dancing, so I
1: guess <laughs> a one. lot of touching in line. If you can line dance six feet apart, you there you go. It. Yeah. You know what? That could be really fun, and I think it's a really good improvisation of the of where we're at right now. Right. And so that's what I'm trying to let everybody know is that it isn't. It's reopened. They want events. Nobody's going to come to a boring event, but it's all with a twist. And it's on kind of a planners to enforce enforce this twist. But like you said, make it enjoyable. Make it, you'll never do this again when the pandemic's over, your yeah. pandemic dancing. But it's really about the group, that group there and how cognizant they're being of the virus, how seriously they take it. I, you, know, you
0: I just have... Yeah. Out at some kind of event, whether that we're used to the fact now things are different and they look yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and 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 people people also have fears. Like, I have family members that have been invited to events that are open in states that are open, allowed to have them, yeah, and they choosing not to attend. So, people can control their risk level. So, that's there's a personal. There's a personal risk level involved too with these. If they actually show up, then they're ready for the event. So is contact tracing required of attendees? Okay, so the answer to this is a New York state answer. And so this is another state-specific question. But in New York, as an event holder, you're required to have a contact tracing list. And, And when I say contact tracing, what I mean is the name, the full legal name of who attends, Okay. some contact information, ideally their email and phone. But if you can't draw out both of those, one of those. So point of this log is not, it's not to harass them. It's just to know someone at that event has developed COVID later. They can let you know that you might've been exposed. So it's, Literally for your own health benefit. Now, the rule is that although you need to attempt to get this log, visitors have the right to refuse to give their information. It's like a personal right. Interesting. So as the planner, as the event holder, you need to make the effort. That's in, in the new rules. But if they refuse, you don't have to be like, oh, you can't come in. Right that you can allow them to refuse. You might want to note how many people refuse. So we have 40 people attend. Here's 30 of them. 10 people refuse to give their information. Right. But it doesn't mean they can't attend. It doesn't mean anything besides they're not going to get notified if something happens. Right. Um, I, yeah,
0: yeah. I think too, if you look, and we're going to get more into this, what our responsibilities are as planners, as producers, but taking temperatures when everyone arrives, listen, It is what it is. Making sure that everyone, we provide the masks and the gloves. And I don't personally wear gloves because I feel like it's a a false sense of, of security with them on. I'd rather just wash my hands and clean my hands all the time. So I don't wear gloves, but I do wear a mask all the time. And it's hard when it's 90 degrees, it's very hard. And I have not worked with a mask on yet. A lot of the stuff we're doing is virtual. So I'm sitting in, a, in an office space or on a location, a venue that we're doing hybrid, but it's, you're not, I'm not moving around setting up and running around and outside and all of that. I can't, it's, it's very difficult. Okay, so who's responsible for ensuring the rules are followed? And I know a lot of event producers are gonna be like, let me, you know, whose responsibility is it?
1: Okay, this is a New York State answer. So for New York, the responsibility is on the location itself that's holding itself out as open to the public for an event. That being said, that doesn't mean that your group can violate the laws because the landlord or the the owner that you're renting from isn't enforcing it. So. You guys have a dual obligation when it comes to people that have attended your event. If someone gets COVID, they're going to sue you. Yeah, <laughs> don't no mistake about it. They're going to sue everybody.
0: The deep, yeah. the lighting, the cater—they're going to sue everybody. That's generally how it happens.
1: Yeah. So although you're not the space owner and you're not. Legally obligated to control that space because it is not your space. To the extent your rental agreement perhaps puts the obligation on you, which it likely does, you're you're taking over that obligation. And as the event planner, you're the enforcer. So it's likely your client has hired you to take this off of their hands. So you're the police. You're the enforcer. It's likely the person you rented it from. They're not even going to be in the vicinity. They don't know that you're following the rule. They should lay them out for you. Right. Legally, they shouldn't let you go past them. But you're going to be looked to uh, for liability as as well as them. And it's very possible. So this goes down to your contract. But if uh, the space that you rent, you, if you sign something releasing them from any kind of liability, which is what I would tell them to put in their contract, then... That You're not going to have anyone else to look to when someone comes after you because you were in control of the area. So you do have exposure there as the one in control of the area, but granted, you are not the actual space owner. You can't legally control the space unless you've contracted for that. So it's a mixed answer because it comes down to what are the terms of, of your contract to control the space.
0: But at, okay, so on the other side of it, as the event producer, I am not going to sign a contract or have my client sign a contract because I don't sign the venue contracts. My clients do,
1: mm-hmm. but I
0: review them and go through them and make sure that everything is on the up and up for my client. If there is something in there that says the obligation is on the client, I'm not going to have my client sign that, and I'm going to advise that she, her attorney, tell her the same. So I know you're on the side. If we're just speaking in terms right now that you're on the side of the venue. So I can't imagine that I would want the liability to put on my client. So is there a way to get around it? Like, you know, how is there a way to get around that?
1: If the client isn't going to take the responsibility because that's what the venue's going to want. They're going to be like, okay, you can't come after us. And that's what the client wants. The client wants to be like, you can't come after me either. Yeah if if the client wants to get out of that obligation, they're going to have to negotiate with the venue and use the power of the fact that they actually wanna book the venue right. and say, hey, I'm willing to book it, but I don't, I'm not willing to take on the responsibility that you have as the venue to make sure your venue doesn't allow its patrons to break the law. So right. as much as the venue is open, it, it also controls, like let's say the venue signed a contract and they knew it was going to be at occupancy. Yeah. That they wouldn't, they would still be liable because they shouldn't have allowed that. They didn't have the right to allow that. But what's better is to just have in the contract the rule of the occupancy for the county at the time. Right. And then as to the liability, it really depends on how bad you want that space and how deep they dig in so yeah. and
0: what I would also do is I would have them outline what do they mean obligation is it just masks and gloves and distancing and what is the what are the parameters of that obligation so that you did those things I'm not a lawyer but I negotiated enough contracts in my mm-hmm, right. you did those things I can live with my clients signing that, mm-hmm. so that yes we can provide the mask, the gloves, we can't guarantee that no one's going to come here sick. It's, 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 it's impossible. So, so if we can outline what that obligation is, I would feel better. You can do that, right?
1: You can, but your venue, they don't want it either because I'm, they're going to be like, I'm not in control of the door. How come I'm going to be liable? So you brought up another thing that people have been, you've heard this in the news in that one way to protect both of you is to have everybody that attends sign a something waiver at least, yeah and and if you think that's tacky would you rather do something tacky or be in a major lawsuit right. because the truth is that neither you nor the venue can keep the person that's coming in the door right. from suing you right. you guys can just you guys can agree that if one gets sued you you will indemnify them That's all. You can't keep them from being sued. And if something happened and half the room gets COVID and people pass away, you're going to get a major lawsuit. And at that point, you'll really wish you had a disclaimer from those people that said, hey, it's a global pandemic. I feel like partying. I agree that I'm going to wear my mask the whole time, stay six feet apart when I can. Yeah. And I release everybody from all liability, which is yeah. the number one thing you're looking for, a release and of liability.
0: I think that's, that kind of solves it so that no one's really going to be. Uh, and I have liable.
1: an ingenuitive idea. You could put a disclaimer link in an invitation if it's an e-invite and have them check the box or s- sign yeah. a signature page to return with their RSVP. Yep. Uh-huh. And if they don't want to release you from liability, why do you want them to come? Exactly. That means they're going to come have fun, get sick and sue you
0: yeah. this is for every kind of event, weddings,
1: anything. Corporate. People are doing it at the door of the church. And it's because the church doesn't want to go bankrupt from yeah. lawsuits. And right. if you think it's tacky, think about not having a business. That's the opposite. That's what can happen if you get into a major lawsuit, just defending it, just defend. yeah. it doesn't matter if you win or lose. Yeah, the price to defend it will be large. If you're talking about a wrongful death lawsuit, which is the major problem you could get from a COVID death.
0: That's the scary part is we have to. It's it's going to happen. Unfortunately, something like that is going to happen. Oh yeah. And I, I hope to God it's. I hope it doesn't. But well, um, yeah,
1: and just think about having the more people at an event, someone there can already have COVID. They came in with it, but they, don't know it. they may accuse it, you of the place they got it. So this individual waiver, there's nothing better that you can do. It's the most protection you can have besides not holding the event. That's it. Or going online. That's the best you can do. So if you want to talk to your clients and they say, oh, that's tacky, you can also tell them to indemnify you and say, okay, I'm just the event planner. I'm not going to take on the risk of 300 people getting together, but you can. And you can have your client indemnify you from that risk. Explain
0: what indemnify is. Sure. Indemnify. So
1: I know. So indemnify means, let's say Annette has been sued because she hosted an event for me. I'm the client. In my contract with Annette, I can say, Annette, I agree that if someone sues you because we held this event, even though you're going to get a judgment against you, you have to pay someone $30,000, I'm gonna be the one responsible, meaning Annette may have to pay it out of her pocket, but then she can come and get it from me. And if I say, never mind, I don't wanna pay you anymore, that was a bad idea, she'll sue me in court and she'll win. Now I'll have a judgment and I'll have to pay Annette. So indemnification is the idea of taking the risk off the other person and saying, the risk is on me, you're indemnified, I'm gonna be the one that takes the risk. The opposite of that, another legal concept is a release. So it works the same way. So if Annette has her client release her from any liability, if something happens regarding, you know, COVID, then, and the client gets sued, she can't then go and sue Annette because Annette's been released. She could have if there was no contract, but it's not the same as indemnification is saying, even if you're released, then if I get sued, you're paying for me. So right. those are the, they go together, but they're not the same thing.
0: And what about a mutual indemnification? So I always put that, I always make sure that we have that, but I want to, it depends, but I want to uh, know what, what about that? What's the difference with that? What happens with that?
1: So usually a mutual indemnification in the contracts that are going to affect your industry has to do with responsibility for something that went wrong. So generally it's going to say, if, if, if Annette is the venue and I'm the event planner, our, my contract with the venue is generally gonna say, if I do something wrong, really bad, negligent, grossly negligent, I can't think of what it would be. I started the fire in the kitchen or something. I'm gonna be responsible for that. If you get sued, I'll pay you back, I'll indemnify you. But then Annette's gonna say, okay, that's great. But if I do something wrong as the venue, I I let in leave the door open and 40,000 birds ruin your event. uh, (laughs) That'll be my fault. And if you get sued for that, I'll pay you back. So that's a mutual indemnification usually has to do with a dividing responsibility or taking responsibility for negligence or gross negligence on your part. So generally you're saying, look, you're going to be responsible. You you own the venue. But if I cause the issue, if I do something really ridiculous to cause the issue, I'll pay for that. And then now that makes you want to contract with me. You'd be like, oh, okay, well, she's really reasonable. She stands behind her word. She's not, if she acts crazy, it's on her. And that entices them to be like, okay, yes, I would like you to come have an event here. I don't feel like I'm at risk interacting with you. So it's all about business risk. Every interaction, and in the an events world, is there's a business risk involved. And there is insurance. I know I was saying to touch a little bit on insurance. There is event insurance. And when it comes to COVID liability, it's so new. It's very new. So right. I would say that you would need to talk to your regular provider who provides event insurance and ask, do they have a rider pertaining to coronavirus? And by now, they likely do. It might be pricey. You might not be interested in it. But insurance is the one other thing that you can do to protect yourself. So the idea of insurance for your company as an event company is you did everything you possibly can. You got all these waivers and still something happened. You have someone to pay it out as opposed to your own pocket. And I highly encourage anybody the first week they open a business to get some kind of insurance that goes with their business but when it comes to coronavirus it's not going to be covered already don't it is if you have insurance forget it it's not in there
0: so i we recently had i had a guest on amber saint dennis and she it was a whole show on insurance so oh, okay actually, yeah. go back to my youtube you can check it on youtube channel and i think it's in my facebook as well But it was all about insurance and things like that. And she's got some great information about that. So that's really important. So what is the event planner's liability and how can we limit our liability?
1: Yeah, so that's what I was trying to touch on. The liability, like I said, is is basically if we're talking about COVID, you have other liabilities as well. But basically something goes wrong. Someone gets hurt. Someone gets COVID and, and they want to be made whole so they could sue The event planner, they can sue uh, the person that held the event, the venue, they'll probably sue everyone. Generally, that's what will happen. Um, You can't avoid this. You can't avoid someone being clumsy and falling down. So then it comes to the contracts as to the indemnification clauses and who's going to take up responsibility from the group for that. So when it comes to the coronavirus and things like that, you want to sit down with your client. And you want to explain that it's not the same environment it was last year. And it's a very serious issue about the limitations. So, first of all, you want you have to curb their expectations that they can just blow through these limits and they don't care. Right. They're not even gonna know what they are for different areas. They're gonna look for you and you have to be firm and tell them this is this is how many people you can have in this location. They all have to wear their masks. Well, I don't want people to wear masks. Okay, then you can't have the event because we're not going to break the law. Okay. Then you want in your contract with the client to have that they will take responsibility, if you can get it in there, for having your guests, their guests follow the rules that you'll supply them. So ideally, it needs to be on your client. It's their event. They're the one that wants to hold an event during a pandemic. (laughs) Let them take responsibility. Now, if they have an attorney, it's a big event. They will. They'll be like, they'll be looking for ways to put this back on you. So keep your eye out for that. But if they don't have an attorney, they'll probably just sign it, which is great. But you also want to make sure these people that you're contracting with, you don't necessarily know their financial position. And even though they may take all responsibility off of you, you could still get sued, go after them, and they don't have any money to pay you back. Yeah. So one of the one of the ways to get around that or to help with that is to require personal guarantee on all your contracts, and I highly recommend this for anybody having an event. And a personal guarantee means you may be doing business with a, a small company that's an LLC. At the bottom of the contract, you also have the person who's behind that LLC personally guarantee the contract, which means if the LLC goes bankrupt, which is yeah. exactly what we do with them if they have a major debt Mm -hmm. then the person's left and they can't get out of it now the person can go bankrupt and you're stuck that's the u.s way things are so there's no like perfect solution but a personal guarantee is a very powerful extra signature so i would highly encourage people to include that on their event contract
0: it says their company name by and then their name and they sign it like nafe productions by annette nafe and i Mm -hmm. Is that a guarantee or is that listed under the company? I'm just the owner of the company.
1: Yeah. So that's a really good question. So when you have, and this is for all business owners, when you sign for the business and you're just contracting for the business, not yourself, right. you should have the business name, just like Annette said, by, and then your name and you should put your title. It's very important to put your title as well and your signature. So what does that mean? It means that when legal professionals read the contract, a judge looks at this contract, the only person who signed on this contract is the company. It's very clear that you didn't individually sign. But the personal guarantee, that's not a personal guarantee, that's just the company. To have a personal guarantee, then we want you underneath of that to have your name again and have a signature. And usually we say Annette nafe individually. If it says Annette nafe individually, or there's the company above it and then her double signature, then we know that she's signing on it. But when it comes to a personal guarantee, it's actually a whole clause that you would guarantee. And it can be separate or an addendum to the original that the client, so you'd have the client's name, hereby agrees, to personally guarantee this contract, and you want to get their name, address, you want to have identifying information. And if they don't want to sign it, think about that. Yeah. about why not? Oh, why not? Oh, you don't want to get sued when I get sued. Oh, great. I they want, you know,
0: problem with that? I can definitely see people not wanting to sign it, which is why they're told open up your business in a business name. And so I see a problem there.
1: And that's right. So what does that mean? That means it's a negotiation. So it's a business risk out there. Yeah. Who wants to take it? Nobody right. who's going to take it depends. It depends on how badly they want that event, how badly you want the client how much insurance you have, you feel really great about your insurance policy, oh, yeah. then that's good. But I do, I think it's really important, especially for smaller business owners to understand what they can do, like the personal guarantee. I know there are people out there who have never heard of this. They're, they're, it's very powerful. And that if you don't do it, you take, what risk you're taking on. I've had a client have a major, let me see here, exercise company, like a gym. Uh-huh that you would assume had millions of dollars in the bank, go bankrupt on my very tiny client. And so what I tell, once I see, I I had a couple companies do that in a row to very small clients and there were major companies. So what I tell business owners is that you, unless you see their books, you don't know that they're ready to file bankruptcy tomorrow. So that, so that, so you don't know, they don't have any money to indemnify you with. They can sign an indemnity. If they have no money, it doesn't matter. you still have to, to yeah, pay your part.
0: That's why it's important that you get months. I go on a monthly retainer and if they don't pay me my monthly retainer, I get a pretty good substantially a substantial, but initial payment up front, which covers the work that I put into it on the way and then monthly payments. So that if the work, if, if they didn't pay you one month, you stop working. So back in the day when I first started my business, I was doing like a deposit and then I wouldn't charge for four or five months and it would only be like a couple months before the event. Sometimes I worked six, seven months and then all of a sudden they canceled the event because they had no money. And I never, I worked seven months and didn't get paid. And I was like, who wow. would to do that? And who would do that? So I was learning, I was like, no, I need to be paid every month, divide out how much they owe me and make sure you're getting a payment. And if they don't pay you one month, stop working. And don't show up. I make sure that my last payment is paid 10 days prior before the event because I'm not coming on site and they're going to need me, obviously, because we've gotten that part. So I'm not coming on site until I'm paid in full. And I've had clients, on occasion, I will take the last payment because it's a fundraiser and they need the money, whatever that is. And if it's because it's a client that I've worked with for a while and I trust and they've always been really good about paying. But that's a whole nother subject. So we're coming down. It's I. We have so many great questions that I want to get through. Okay. Um, who must provide the masks, like the masks, the gloves, the whatever that is, or the temperature things? Who is responsible for providing
1: that? Okay, so the masks are required to be provided. So originally, like I, I just keep thinking about a museum because a museum's a combination where you have visitors, but you also have event spaces. So if you think about something like that as a location, people, whoever owns it is the is the one that's legally obligated to provide these masks to the public they're inviting in. That being said, if it's a rental agreement that you have of the space where it's not just like a license to use the space, but it's a, a rental agreement, it's very likely that they're trying to transfer that responsibility and every responsibility there is for the space over to you, which is very common. So then it would become whoever is renting the space, which is more than likely your client, right? In the name of your client. So once your client's taken on that responsibility, if they have, then they're the ones who are taking over that responsibility from the, the original people who have it. That, so that being said, what I would encourage all event planners is don't assume the venue where you're going has any clue at all. Right. <laughs> They're not they, they don't know what they may not. They may never have seen something like this. They don't have any clue what's going on. They're doing whatever they want. That's all great till there's a lawsuit and then it isn't. So you want to take on the responsibility of bringing extra masks. You do need to provide them to the guests. The guests obviously can wear their own, but you are required. If you're inviting someone indoors in New York, you're required outside of the state of New York. It's really it's about your state's mass requirements. But I would assume if you have a mask requirement in your state that whoever is controlling that door, yeah. that's who needs to be having masks for people. And in New York, they say, oh, is there a mask shortage? You can't find enough masks. They say that's fine. You just have to cancel because you cannot legally invite people in if you can't do it under their safety protocols.
0: There's a lot of people making them now. And the greatest thing you can do is brand them because this is another branding opportunity. So it could be really fun, even if it's a wedding.
1: That's true. It can be really fun. And that's something that if you're thinking through these new events with everything new and you want to include that, first of all, you can start looking for a good vendor that can turn those over quickly for you. And then I also want to think about pricing and to make sure it's an option like oh, we can have these ugly masks, or we can do great masks for you. But it's an upsell; it becomes an opportunity, and they don't know about these options. They're looking to you for how these things come. And then I want to talk about the temperature real quick. So in New York, temperature taking at the door is optional for inviting guests in. It's required. It's not. It's required when you have employees that they have to send in their health questionnaire daily. It doesn't have to include temperature, but it could. But when it comes to people who are just being in invited to these events, it'd be, it's totally fine to require the temperature check. And that's why I want people to know that you can do it, but it isn't required. So it's really about safety. So if you do have it and someone has a temperature, obviously you turn them away. It's a way to really show you're going above and beyond, but just so that, that people know it isn't actually required, whereas the masks are required. Yeah.
0: Okay. How do you know if there are changes to the current phase status? And this is New York. I don't think any location, but where can people go to check on the phase status?
1: Yeah. So for New York, it's called New York Forward. Let me see if I have the actual... The actual one right here in front of me. Yeah, it's okay. It's forward.ny.gov. So forward.ny.gov. I'm not making these things up. Everything I'm getting is really from the information they have there. And they've done an excellent job at making the guidelines as friendly as they can, because they are complicated. Another thing I wanted to talk about is anybody that reopens, whether any venue or anybody that's an employer in New York. So perhaps your event Planning company has employees. You are required to have a New York safety plan, and what the safety plan is how that company is going to prevent the spread of COVID nineteen. And so, this is a new requirement, and it's something that I sell an entire package with, which also includes uh, like a fifty question Q and A on what to do if somebody that's employed by you gets COVID. One of someone, one of your customers gets COVID, and a lot of really. I worked really hard on it. It's a lot of very good information and it could save you from having to see an attorney because the answer to your question might be in there. So uh, I encourage people to check that out as well.
0: Are gloves, eye shields required? So I think we touched a little bit on that, but those eye shields that people are, when I go to get a manicure and pedicure, sometimes they're wearing them, which I think is great because they're working close to people all day long. But what's uh, the requirements on those?
1: So the gloves and the eye shield are not required for these indoor events or the outdoor events, the masks, the requirement. But when it comes to the person at the door, if you have someone at the door that's doing testing, someone your company is encouraging to interact closely, that's when you, it's not, it doesn't say it's required in the actual, in the actual guidelines, but that's when you're really encouraged to make sure that person has an eye shield And that person has gloves or has another thing they said is you can have a divider. So if you're talking a real big event, these things are very inexpensive to put together. If you're talking about a small event, you might be like, yeah, who's going to go get that for that? So it really depends on your budget. But the goal is that your company has to protect that screener or multiple screeners and th- so they're because you're they're pretty much the ones you're forcing to get the closest everybody else if you voluntarily get close that was your choice but if you're in a position where you have to get really close then that's where the eye shields and the gloves are encouraged they, they don't say they're required but they're highly encouraged if you're in that about in
0: the workspace so a lot of event companies mm-hmm. any really companies. But what about in the workspace? What are the rules with the gloves, the masks, the shields and all of that?
1: So that's a really good question. So in the workspace, it's the same rules as the indoor events. Employees or anybody, wh- whoever's in the building is supposed to wear their mask unless they're more than six feet apart. So if you can sit people six feet apart, they can take their masks off. But okay. if they're going to go walk by a group of people to use a they should be putting it back on. And, and the number one thing that, you know, that I like to say is it's on the employer to enforce these rules. If you have an unruly employee who's, I don't care, I don't wear a mask, go away. Unless they have a health body reason. Body
0: or something I've had people post to you when I say something, it's like my body, my life. I'm like, okay.
1: Unless body. it's a health reason, yeah. the obligations on the employer to get that person under control you may need to terminate that person because the problem is it, it's not on this person who doesn't want to follow the rules that gets covid and gets everyone in the company sick right they're not going to get sued your company's going to get sued because you didn't take the required precautions on reopening you flaunted them and right. so if i'm i really encourage is nobody wants to take these rules very seriously and i know a lot of people just want to be like oh whatever I want to let you know that you want to wake up to these rules and you want to enforce them as if your company depended on it because it might. And it's very, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of people don't even realize these rules are out there. And so that's why I want to let people know that these are the rules. The New York safety plan is required for all businesses that are reopened. But besides the plan, you have to enforce it because if you don't, you're just reopening your liability because all your employees are going to say, I sat two feet next to Joe for three weeks. He never had his mask on. Yeah. You didn't follow the rule. Now you're liable. So what do you do?
0: I have one last question here. This has been great information. Thank you so much. What do you do if someone reports getting COVID?
1: Okay, so this is really important because it's going to happen to somebody who's listening here. It's just the real world. There's (laughs) high numbers out there. So the number one thing is don't freak out. Prepare yourself for this situation and have a plan. Number one, you want to notify, if you're in New York, you want to notify your local health department. If you're in another state, whoever's your your most local health department, county health department, that you've been notified that someone who attended an event has now tested positive for coronavirus. What they're going to do is they're going to send somebody out to you and they're going to say, okay. Did you have a contact tracing log at your event? And you're going to say, yes, I did. (laughs) And here's the list. And they're going to utilize their contact tracers. They might ask you to help. I'm not sure they will or not, but they're going to take your list and they're going to do the follow-up to let these people know that they may need to quarantine because they were exposed to an active case. After that, the responsibility is pretty much off of you. So you have a reporting responsibility. And the, the flip side of this responsibility is don't tell anybody the name of the person that you've been privileged to know tested for coronavirus let the health department deal with that if somebody if if you need to tell someone that they were exposed you say someone at the event tested positive right and they were someone who you know was in this room don't say their name their names is personal health information and for that Unless you have clearance by the government or the health department to name the person for whatever reason, don't do it. So that's something important to think about as well. Uh, Be very cognizant that it's a health information status and not just gossip.
0: You did mention that you have something that you're offering. Why don't you talk a little bit about that?
1: Okay, so what I'm offering to people in New York State anybody in New York State needs to have a reopening plan if you have an actual workspace where people intermingle. So if you are all virtual, you can still fill it out if you want to, but you're probably going to be okay because the plan is about controlling the spread of COVID 19. Mm -hmm. So I offer the New York safety plan, but what the safety plan does is it spins out about six or seven other requirements. And those are what I include with my safety plan package. So you don't just get the safety plan, but you get the employee health questionnaire that you have to send daily and get back from all your employees so that you don't have to come up with it. I have the contact tracing log, so you could just print it out and be ready to go for your event or for your day for your office I have a draft communication policy, which is for employer to employee about how and who in your office is going to communicate if somebody gets coronavirus. So you're getting ready for the scenario. So if it happens, you just execute the plan and it's not as dramatic. And also a cleaning policy, which is we didn't touch too much on cleaning, but there's a daily cleaning requirement for any space that's open in New York state. And so the cleaning policy has to go with, okay, you have a cleaning policy. Who's going to clean on Monday? Because you didn't used to clean every day. So yeah. it helped you identify who's the cleaner. Does it rotate? And who's their backup? Well, when they're out, the office doesn't get clean. It's something people didn't have to think about daily. If anybody has cleaners, they usually like come in once a week.
0: I'm sure the cleaning companies are very
1: happy right now. They're ecstatic. Yeah. Yes. And, and that can be your solution if they're coming in every day, but then you got to go pay for them. And then another thing that it includes for the employers out there is that it's an employee release. We're talking about releases and indemnification. You're generally covered by workers' comp, but if you do something that goes too far beyond, your employee could bring a lawsuit against you. So we have crafted a release which educates the employee about their requirements for wearing a mask, distancing, and also attempts to release the employer from liability now to the extent you could really get fully released, I would say probably not. You have to follow all the rules. Right. But what it is, it's, if, if an employee doesn't follow the rules because you've given them notice of the rules and you have their signature of on it, then if they don't follow it, you have a reason for termination. And it's not just, Oh, he never told me. Oh, really? Here's your signature. Right. So you were told. And so it's evidence for court. So I, to me, that alone is worth the value. Yeah. One of the most awesome things is I have a 50 question Q&A on most everything employment related coronavirus. So okay. what do I have to tell employees? What happens if they get coronavirus? Anything you need to know should be in there. So
0: Great information. Thank you so much for sharing that with the audience. Feel free to reach out to us as well and we can connect you. But thank you so much, Tiffany. It's been so great. And thank you everyone for joining. And again, if you have If you are trying to do it a virtual event, you have no idea where to start. Please don't hesitate to contact us. But thank you, everyone, for joining us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Okay, bye.